0: Hi, I'm John Eno.
1: And I'm Evelise Crespo. Welcome to the Reed Smith Podcast, Inclusivity Included, Powerful Personal Stories.
0: In each episode of this podcast, our guests will share their personal stories, passions, and challenges, past and present, all with a goal of bringing people together and learning more about others.
1: You might be surprised by what we all have in common, Inclusivity Included. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Inclusivity Included, I am your host, Evelise Crespo. This episode will dive into a topic that I'm all too familiar with as both a member of the LGBT community and someone who has various disabilities. And that topic is disclosure. Now, if you've never had to come out at work or your personal life or decide whether it's safe to share your disability, then you may not understand the immense pressure that these decisions can have on individuals. But persons in the LGBTQ community and those with disabilities, particularly those that have non-visible disabilities, such as mental illness or neurodiversity, may struggle with publicly disclosing these aspects to underlie their diversity, the very things that make them well them. To unpack this topic, I am thrilled to be joined by members of two of Reed Smith business inclusion groups. Jonathan Andrews, associate in the firm's global entertainment and media industry group based in the London office, and Aaron Guna, learning and development manager in our Pittsburgh office, are here representing our disability inclusion group called Leaders. Jess Perry, associate in the firm's global entertainment and media industry group based in our London office, is here representing PRISM, our LGBTQ business inclusion group thank you all for joining me today. How's everyone doing? Great. Good, thanks. Good, thank you. You know, thank you so much for joining. You know, this is a very important topic, and I think that it's something that a lot of people struggle with. And then for those that don't struggle with it, I think it's something they're not really aware of. So, you know, I want to dive right into this topic and you know I'll end with some advice that you can give to the audience that's listening, whether it's people that are thinking about disclosing or folks that are thinking about how they can be stronger allies. But before that, I want to get your your personal stories. And so I'm going to ask, you know, when did each of you decide to disclose either your disability or your status as an LGBTQ member um, when you at work? We can start with Aaron if you don't mind sharing.
0: Sure, absolutely. Thanks so much. Uh, it's wonderful to be included in this conversation. Just as way of background, about, gosh, 12, 13 years ago now, I was diagnosed with anxiety and panic disorder. It's chronic, so it's chemical. Um, as much as I tried for a few years, to think I could just handle it by myself. Um, I need a little help with medication, different therapy. Uh, so I decided pretty soon after joining Reed Smith to be very open about it to disclose it um, there's been several opportunities for me to talk openly about it I feel like I'm so fortunate to work at Reed Smith where you know you're you're almost made to feel empowered to you know talk about any challenges that you have and I just really think it's important uh, the more that people talk about mental health challenges uh, I think it hopefully raises the comfort level for others to disclose if they're considering it, um, but but more importantly, to not feel any embarrassment or shame around mental health challenges. Um, so that's primarily why I decided to disclose and why I'm very, very open about those challenges at work.
1: You know, I really appreciate you sharing that. and I And I have to agree. I think, you know, for 10 years I've lived with PTSD And I have never said that out loud to any single person that I work with until I joined Reed Smith. And part of it is because it's it's a part of the culture, right? The the need to hide it doesn't feel so immense, uh, particularly when everyone else around you, when a lot of people around you rather, are so open about it and so and and talk about these things as if it's commonplace and I think that that really certainly does help so I appreciate you sharing that you know Jess you know what are your experiences like with coming out at work I'd, I'd love to hear that you know when did you decide
2: yeah for sure so I guess uh, the one thing to note is also coming out is never really a, a finite process it's always something that you do on a continuous basis and I spent most of my education in the closet so to speak I did I wasn't out for the majority of my undergrad and I came out I was out in law school in terms of coming out at work I first came out at Reed Smith during the interview process. So I was involved in the LGBTQ student society at my university and I was the president and I gained a lot of transferable skills in that experience, which I referred to when I was explaining things that I'd, I'd done. So it just felt like a, a natural way to disclose it and to be open about it. After that, I can't really specifically remember how I came out to my different supervisors when I was a trainee, but as I became more involved with PRISM, it's uh, having to come out at work is something that I, I do less because I am so involved in it, but it's definitely something I still do in different spaces. So sometimes at client events or on secondment or, or that sort of thing.
1: You know, thank you for sharing that. So it sounds like you made the decision even before joining Reed Smith in the interview to really come out and share that. Wow, that's 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 really awesome, and I, I'm I'm glad you felt supported enough to share that, and comfortable in yourself to share that. Jonathan, would you like to tell us a little bit about you know your decision to disclose? You know, when did you decide? Mm. Yeah, of course.
3: So when I was kind of looking for jobs in law, I guess, and sort of thinking about the career that would be right for me, I did actually attend quite a few events around disability within law, and I. Found that so as somebody who had personally been diagnosed as being on autistic spectrum when I was nine years old, it wasn't really something that I was seen as a stigma to talk about, shall we say? My um, family were very sort of supportive, um, saw it very much as a, a sort of a, a something that might bring challenges, but also strengths in other ways as well, part of your identity. So I sort of until that point, I guess was I wouldn't wasn't so many ever to be open as such disclose but it was just seen as sort of part of me i guess and it, i didn't really think too much about it and i found that maybe there w- there wasn't so much openness at that at that time it's actually a, a, quite a bit of change happened since then but uh, you know not not great amount of openness i find within law particularly around autism and so actually decided that it probably needed You know, somebody to to champion that, and actually Reid Smith, um, I came to know through some of the not through those particular events, but through other open days I went to, and I could actually see their interest in this area, in including those with disabilities, um, visible and non-visible, and um, actually, funny enough, through sort of you know uh, sharing the stories about that and advocating in different ways, managed to link them up with um, with organisations involved um, in this. So I suppose really. Um, that was kind of what led me to sort of see the importance of being of of disclosing disability and I actually did that at the interview stage was very much a believer in wanting to put your best foot forward and that includes in terms of being open about your identity maybe the different ways as well that you know disability might affect you and but by sort of taking ownership and being able to describe it yourself you can explain um, in more detail how that does impact you and in positive ways as well as things you you may need more assistance with which you you, know, you won't be able to, to do if you don't talk about it so that was very much the line that I took I think that, that was really helpful to me in terms of being able to be open at that stage also in terms of seeing the firms that were inclusive and I could see the work that Reed Smith did and got exposed to that very early on and I should say as well also that as well as being on the autistic spectrum um, I also identify as being Bisexual as well, and that was something that I felt very able to be open with when I was applying to Reed Smith. I uh, having gone to the, many of the open days that you know you'd, you'd put on, meeting people at the firm, it was clear that you valued and um, diversity and inclusion, and that that wouldn't be something that you know would be held against you. If anything, it would be a strength to be able to to share that and to to show that you know you were comfortable to be open about who you were. So. I very much, you know, was very comfortable, um, like Jess at interview stage, being open about those parts of my identity that you otherwise might not see. And, you you know, people might prefer not to be open about. But personally, I was very happy to do so.
1: Well, thank you. Um, and, you know, I think I love that when we're talking about topics like this, it highlights intersectionality and that at any given moment, each and every one of us can hold various identities that intersect and really make us who we are. So, you know, I think, Oftentimes, people who may not have this experience, right, who have never had to think about disclosing, may think, you know, what's the big deal here? And I think it's important for us to highlight why we make those decisions. And so, you know, I, I pose this question to the group and, and whoever feels, you know, like they want to answer, feel free. But why did you make that decision? You know, why was it important to you?
0: I think for me, Lise, it was because they're in my opinion, it's better, but there's still a lack of understanding about anxiety and panic disorders. And I think the more people who live with those challenges talk about it, the more other people gain an understanding of of the wide range of what that can mean. I found previously that when somebody finds that out about me, they kind of start to tiptoe around me like, oh my gosh, you know, don't upset Aaron. And Um, You know, the more I talk about, like, there's different things that might trigger me and there are different situations that are more challenging for me. And generally, unless I say something to you, you don't need to worry about it. I'm just not ashamed and I'm not embarrassed. And I want you to know that this is who I am. That's why I talk about it. And that's why I disclosed it. Just because I think that not only does it help people who don't have mental health challenges better understand what that means it it helps people who do feel more empowered to talk about it, to be open about it and to let their colleagues know you know their story
1: absolutely, Jess Jonathan, uh, do either of you feel like sharing? Um, why did you make that decision? Why was it important to you?
2: Yeah, for sure, there's a few reasons. I think the first one is really about representation and touches a bit on what Aaron said as well. A really important uh, thing for me and just coming out generally was representation it was seeing an experience like mine in a tv show that made me think and realize that i was gay so i think it's important for people who feel comfortable and able to come out if if they they can that can be that representation for someone else whether that's in a professional setting or or otherwise so if i if i can do that or help at all then that's definitely a strong reason for me. And then the other part of it is probably a, a more personal side, in that it's not being out is a secret. And that takes a lot of energy to manage, I guess, um, or just think about. There's all these other things that you need to think about or work around. And to, to be able to be in a position to kind of not have that be in a secret anymore just frees up your mental capacity to do so many other things. And it's, Really helped in all aspects of my life.
1: You know, I love that you highlighted that um, it's ex- it can be exhausting to hide parts of yourself, and I don't think people understand that. You know, I want to shift gears a little bit because I think you know there may be people listening in who are deciding, you know, they're at a, a crossroads, right? They're they're thinking about who they are and what's important to them. And they're trying to figure out if it's worth, you know, disclosing at work, what are the benefits, what are the pros and cons. And so I want to get a sense from all of you. Um, and I can start with Jonathan, you know, what are the different considerations in play or at play, right, when disclosing in the workplace and in your personal life? You know, what does that balancing act look like?
3: Yeah, so I think, that's a really interesting question um and i think when it so when it comes to the workplace there's there's also sort of differences i suppose in terms of the identity that you're disclosing so i think around disability the um topic of adjustments sort of comes in uh, in terms of you know you have to be open in order to get the support that you may need or, you know, you might not want to necessarily be open about a particular disability or condition, but at least being open about needing certain support, if that's the case. That's not always the case, but, you know, for that that is something that often happens. Um, that's not so much a consideration when it comes to kind of sexuality, but um, equally, actually, the it, it can be important in terms of kind of um, knowing if you're somewhere that is going to be supportive of people with different sexualities, different identities, you know, if they're going to be be properly inclusive in that way. And actually, sometimes the kind of cultural impact of that, and you know, just what Jess was previously saying about the sort of effort and stress that can come from sort of masking and hiding who you are, um, or not sharing who you are. It's just important in terms of having that sort of inclusive culture. And that is an example of what you might call a soft adjustment in terms of disability, but actually, really, you know, that kind of inclusion side of things applies equally to um, to sexuality or, or many other characteristics as as well. So I think that there's that kind of consideration in terms of for disability, you know, adjustments that you might need. Generally, in terms of you know hidden differences, you know, it's it's about uh, do you feel comfortable to do so in this environment. I think kind of you so say the kind of personal side of things actually you know the the although we think about adjustments maybe as part of a kind of workplace thing I guess equally the kind of idea about you know um, am I happy to kind of be sort of open about um, this side of my life you know when in any sort of sort of non-workplace setting how people are going to sort of take that whether they are going to be sort of su- supportive and provide that support is something that still plays into consideration, although in maybe in a slightly different way, in a less professional way, but actually the same kind of attitudes that, you know, people may may hold or, or, not, or not hold as the case may be, um, is still gonna be really impactful when it comes to hidden differences. Um, and actually I'd say there's quite a bit of overlap there, although obviously, you know, there are also different areas where um, they might sort of impact in different ways. But uh, yeah, I think I, I, I would say that there are similarities, there are differences as well with between disability and um, LGBT in, in that way. But then also, as I say, in terms of kind of generally wanting to feel included, there are quite a few overlaps there as well.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing. You know, Aaron, do you want to chime in here as well? You know, what do those considerations look like for you? And and just feel free to chime in and let us know if if these are similar for you or if you have different considerations.
0: I think that in my personal life it's interesting. I find in my professional life more people are understanding of anxiety and panic <laughs> probably because I'm at Reed Smith than in my personal life. So I'm really I I make it sort of a mission of mine in my personal life to you know tell the story of mental health challenges to people who don't understand what that means, um, in particular, anxiety, depression, um, and in how chemicals come into play. That you know, you hear people say sometimes, like you know, well, why can't somebody just not be depressed, and why can't they just calm down when they're upset? And it in you know, there are brain chemicals at play there that make that impossible. And when you are in the throes of anxiety or depression or a panic attack, it is next to impossible to try to come out of that with you know if if it's if it's a chemical condition it's next to impossible to just come out of that like naturally or or holistically so i'm always talking about that more so in my personal life professionally i think one thing that is difficult and and i haven't had to do this thankfully but i think people have thought about this more in the past few years is you know is this organization right for me And if you feel like you're having to use a ton of energy hiding who you are, um, like Jess said, you know, that takes a lot of energy. And and if if you feel like you're using a ton of energy hiding a major component of who you are in consideration of joining an organization or within the organization that you're in, it may be time to have a tough conversation with yourself, you know, is this where I belong? Um, Because for me, and this is just for me, but the values of of where I work have to align with my values or I can't be there. And like I said, I'm fortunate that I haven't had to, you know, address that decision at Reed Smith, but I think there are probably a lot of people out there who do have to think about that. And I know it's not easy sometimes just to tell yourself, you may want to make a change, but you know, if you're using that energy day in and day out, hiding something about yourself, that is a, huge part of who you are, then you may want to think about possibly joining a different organization or you know perhaps not you know deciding not to interview with with an organization whose values don't align with yours.
2: I was just gonna say I agree with everything that was been said but the the one point that I would probably add and is and and correct me if I'm wrong, probably slightly more relevant to the lgbtq community is is safety and particularly outside the workplace because in the particular climate that we're in right now different people have a lot of opinions about what queer people should be able to do and and where and just their very existence so even if it might not seem like a even if it might seem like a remote issue in a particular situation and even if you've been out for a long time in a a lot of different areas of your life there's still that element that needs to be considered. I know there's some places where I've gone where I don't feel safe being out and I'm not for and I make a conscious choice for that and it's unfortunate but that's just where we are still sometimes and I think alongside that it's important to remember sometimes the privileges that we might have based on where you live in terms of what level of safety you have and what that means in terms of whether you disclose and how and where
3: yeah I think that's a really important point and it goes to the goes to the fact that you know people aren't going to be comfortable disclosing everywhere and actually in order to you know create that environment we've spoken about how important it is for people to be open and you know helpful when people can be themselves but that does require conscious effort you know within the part of a community or a workplace to be able to build that um, you can't just expect people to do it themselves um, I and that that's why I was really impressed with you know the work that ReesMith have done in this area because when I, when I came for interviews met the firm uh, before joining it was very obvious that there was that culture in place but it's not you know it's not the fact that everywhere in the world is going to be the same absolutely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, just I I share, you know, those concerns about safety, you know. It's it's a privilege one to go on vacation, but one of the things that, you know, my partner and I have to consider where some of my other friends may not is is this a safe place to travel. You know, and 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 I don't think that unless people have to think about that, they really understand the weight that that has. Because you have to consider, you know, your your life, right? Um, there are people out there who firmly believe that your existence is a threat, and so I I, I hear you, and I think that's really important consideration to keep in mind. Is that sometimes it, it's a matter of safety? It's not a matter of you know, am I comfortable with myself, right? It's a matter of is the world going to respect me? Is, am I going to be held, is my life going to be in jeopardy or my identity going to be in jeopardy because other people are going to have a hard time swallowing who I am? I want to shift gears a little bit because I want to be mindful of our time. But I also want to talk about this idea of invisible diversity, right? Those things that you can't see, like disabilities, particularly those that aren't visible, or like LGBTQ status. And I want to get a sense from you folks, do you think that people, whether in the workplace or in society, give enough consideration to invisible diversity?
3: I think that there's growing awareness and that things are kind of moving in the right direction on this. I I think it can be sort of tempting when it comes to diversity for people to focus on the things that you can see just because it's easier for a lot of people um, to kind of identify difference in the way that is you know visually obvious and of course it's not necessarily the case that all members of the LGBT U+ community will be uh, having an in- invisible difference or indeed disability there may be visible um, forms of that as well but I do think that it requires a bit more of a conscious effort to really, you know, think about the d- differences you know, people can't see, and also to actually consider them as, as part of um, as part of the conversation about diversity, because I think sometimes people can sometimes, as, you know, assume things like mental health, for example, uh, which Erin has, has spoken about and yourself. Is sometimes people can see that, oh, that's an issue, but they won't necessarily connect the dots and see it's a diversity issue. You know, they 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 might see it as a health issue, for example. Well, actually, it very much factors into uh, um, diversity and, and identities, people's identities. You know that. That are multifaceted and make up those individuals and people who have multiple identities, including those non-visible ones. And I think sometimes that can get lost a bit in some of the kind of work, just generally spoken about about how we treat diversity. And it's really important to recognise that intersectional lens, you know, and one that very much includes those non-visible differences, because when it comes to things like sexuality, it can have an enormous impact on somebody's life. And the and and you know. As you've said, how safe you feel in particular environments, for example, um your choice of partner as well. And you know, it's a really impact on on the on the personal life as well as professional life. And it can also, with disability, it, it can be very imp- important in terms of, you know, are you working in the best way? You know, what are you getting the right support? And are you being able to kind of you know give your best to the to the, the firm and the, and and how support can be given to do that. So it's actually a really important conversation to have, but it really does require people to, you know really recognize the importance of invisible differences. And I'm, I'm seeing I'm seeing progress on that. And certainly, as I say, Ree Smith's always been very good on that. And um, it's why I always felt comfortable being open at, from the very beginning with them. But in general, yeah, I definitely think there's always more to do on diversity, isn't there? So, you know, there's um there's always more to be done.
1: And, you know, and I love that you mentioned that people confuse this and say, is this a health issue? I think one of the things that someone that I greatly respect once pointed out to me that, Inclusion and belonging are health issues, right? This is a health issue because the impact of not feeling like you belong, the impact of facing exclusion in the workplace or in society, have a tremendous impact on people's mental health, on their abilities, right? Uh, so, and I, I love that you pointed that out, and I and I, w- I just want to highlight: I don't think those are mutually exclusive, right? I think they're they're issues that exist because exclusion and, and the lack of belonging have such a tremendous impact on people, on not only their mental but their physical health yeah. as well. And so, I really appreciate you pointing that out, Jess, Aaron. Either you want to chime in here.
2: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think my short answer to that question would be probably that no, I I don't think people give enough consideration to it. But I do agree with Jonathan that it is getting better. And I think part of that is about representation and people who do feel comfortable disclosing their disability or their status in the LGBTQ community being open about it, because it's hard to acknowledge things, I think, sometimes that you can't see or that you don't know about. So there's like an assumption that This person looks a certain way; they must be the same, or they must uh, have a particular characteristic. But you can't tell most things about a person by looking at them. So, being open about your experiences and your identity gives that opportunity for people to think about it more, because it's bringing it into the kind of visible spectrum, I guess, by being open and talking about it. And that, I think, will help this kind of issue moving forward.
1: You know, appreciate that. I, you know, I think. One of the things that I wanna end with is, is allyship. And I think there's a balance here. I think that when we are trying to be allies in the workplace, if we're not culturally competent about the the lived experiences of the people that we work with, it can very easily switch into we're prying into people's personal lives, you know. And and I, I use the word cultural competency, but I, I prefer the word cultural humility, right? Because I think competency it really denotes an expertise, and we're never going to be experts in somebody else's lived experience, you know. Humility, I feel like, is more like a lifelong journey, and and we are being humble and 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 understanding that, you know it's a lifelong journey and there are things we're going to learn and things we're going to unlearn. And so I guess I want to get a sense from you, what does allyship look like, right? How can, how can we prevent, you know, and obviously, you know, I've been in the workplace. I've, I've had people ask me inappropriate questions about who I am, my identity, what makes me me. And so what is the balancing act? You know, what are some things that are not allyship and what are some things that are?
0: For me, allyship is educating being open, talking about my experiences, but also knowing my experiences. When I hear certain language about mental health being used very loosely, I, in in the most delicate way possible, try to, I don't try, I do intervene and remind the person who's using the language that that's somebody, that could be somebody's real experience. For example, Evalee's I'm sure throughout your lifetime, you have heard people very casually say, "Oh, oh my gosh, I feel like I have PTSD," and they're and they really they don't, and they're just expressing that something is is causing them some stress. Um, and that's where that's an example of where I would say, well, please, you know, keep in mind, there are people who really do truly suffer from t- PTSD and it is a life altering ongoing challenge. So just things like that and, and not in a combative or assertive way, but just kind of letting people know, hey, by the way, there are people that really do suffer from that. So don't, you know, maybe think about the, the casualness with which you are using that term. So that's, that's for me, you know, how I really, from a mental health angle, try to continually be an ally. And, you know, in in terms of other diversity, allyship for me is just constantly learning. I just keep trying to learn about other people's experiences and what those, you know, challenges they may face and the things that um, they encounter and, and to be mindful of that. And, you know, whenever I can, if, if. If some if I see something's wrong, I try to act and step in and and redirect. So that's to me allyship. Something from a mental health perspective that is not allyship that is is troubling for me is that once somebody discloses a mental health challenge, um, unless they take an additional step to disclose their treatment options or met you know how they're being treated, I take exception when people ask me like, "Are you on medication?" What, med- what meds are you on? Do you need this? Do you need that? Like, if I offer it, that's one thing. But if I don't offer it, I would prefer not to be asked. So that's just raising something, you know, for those who are listening, that can be a little off-putting.
1: Yeah, for- Absolutely. I Absolutely. And, and it's what what I think is important to highlight is sometimes these questions aren't asked out of malice, right? They're asked out of a lack of competency. And so, you know, the advice that we're giving really isn't a judgment as opposed to it's advising people, right? That um, there are ways that, that there are things that you may need to know and there are things that are, are inappropriate and that you don't need to know. And that's one of those things, Um, I know that we're closing in on time, but I want to give both Jess and Jonathan an opportunity to talk about what allyship looks like.
2: Yeah, and and just to build off of what what you just said about what information is appropriate or not appropriate for someone to know, I think a good rule of thumb is, would I be asking this question if this person didn't have this disability or wasn't in the the LGBT community, and if you wouldn't, then maybe it's not an appropriate question to ask, but then just turning to allyship. I think what Aaron said, such a big part of it is, is learning and always being open to, to listening and stuff. And I think the other part of it is being really in in it with the people who are in that community as much as you can be as an ally when things are, are difficult. So not, not being a, a fair weather ally, so to speak. So being there. So I think Pride is a good example. A lot of people celebrate Pride Month, but then that's, that's it it's just a month in the year but for people in the LGBTQ community that's all year round so if you want to celebrate pride then what else can you be doing throughout the year to support the community because it's around year long and there are challenges that people face year round as well so. Yeah good point Jess. Um,
1: Jonathan?
3: Yeah absolutely I think part one part of our liveship absolutely is being sort of mindful of how you approach people, the way that they wish to be treated. And I think the, the points about kind of, you know, having sort of comments made or, or questions asked that might not be quite appropriate um, is, a, is a really important one. When it comes to things, particularly in the area of disability, I think quite often, you know, in, in certainly in a lot of the awareness raising in, uh, at least in the UK about this, uh, there has been an awareness that maybe people sometimes don't raise things because they are worried about offending and you know part of that is actually saying well you you can ask but equally you need to do it in a respectful way and i think very much asking people you know for guidance on that and saying just as a ground rule you know what you're comfortable for me doing actually is quite a good way of being an ally and then but also making sure that once people tell you what they might want to talk about or what you can do to support them that you listen to them because the allyship is very much about not centering the ally but centering their community that they're being an ally for and how they can work to you know listen to and support that community and so you know, whether that is in terms of comments made or whether that is in terms of actually sort of you what know, they can get out to do to to support, you know, whether it's through sort of, you know, being involved in events, not just in one month, but throughout the year or, or anything else. I very much take allyship, you know, where I try to be good ally for other communities, for example, I really, you know, try to sort of listen to them and then try to, be led by that as opposed to saying here's what I want to do to be an ally you know that's not what allyship should be about it should be about listening to that community and and supporting them in that way just as you would hope that other allies of your community would do the same to you
1: absolutely and I I love that you pointed out that you know not all LGBT people or not all people with disabilities are the same Mm. you know we're not a monolith and so it's important that when we're talking about allyship that we check in with individuals And I think that that is a very beautiful uh, way to end this. And so thank you all. I really appreciate you joining us and talking about such an important topic. I'm sure that our listeners have enjoyed listening to your lived experiences, your stories, and your advice just as much as I have. So thank you all and have a great day to the rest of our listeners.
0: Inclusivity Included is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McCardle.
1: This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and ReadSmith.com.
0: This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.